Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we just want to thank you and bless you for your word. Lord, let it do exactly as you have purposed, Heavenly Father. Uh, Let it be life-changing to us in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Last week, as part of this whole journey uh, we've been on um, about the power of communications, last week we spoke about the platform of friendship. Um, And we looked at the benefits of friendship with God. We used Abraham as a case study. Um, And if you remember the things we went through, uh, God wants to be with his friends. He comes to visit his friends, comes to stay with his friends. We said God's friends have a liberty in petitioning him. We looked at Abraham's example as to how friendship with God really spices up your prayer life, gives you a liberty that people who are not his friends have, have, don't, don't have. We said, number three, God feels obliged to tell his friends before he acts in their sphere. And we looked again at, at, at Abraham's life. Number four, we said God blesses the families of his friends. Just by being his friends, families are blessed. Uh, number five, we said God protects his friends, the covenant he has with his friends. And we said, number six, um, God's friendships are covenant friendships. And, and so we were going to go on today to talk about how we become God's friends. Because if we know all those benefits, then the question must be the how. How do we become God's friends? It must be something that we are focused on, we are intentional about. You see, because to be his son or daughter, all we've got to do is accept him as Lord and Savior, accept his son as Lord and Savior, and we become his son or daughter. But then there is another level where even though we're son or daughter, we become friends with him. Uh, and, and, And that's what we're aiming for, that friendship. I mean, Jesus has already opened the door to it by telling us that now I call you friends. So it's up to us now to live as friends of God. Amen? So how do we become God's friends, knowing all the benefits? There are four pillars of friendship with God. That's what I call them, four pillars of friendship with God. And um, just open up your heart. I'm I'm going to share a lot of information. And I just pray the Spirit of God will help us to not just take it in, but that it will bear fruit in our lives. How do we become friends of God? Four pillars of friendship with God. Number one pillar is by loving him. Yeah? Um, Abraham, who is a test case, a study, uh, clearly loved God. Their relationship uh, proves that. Um, When Jesus wants to lay a foundation for us, a foundation of life, He starts by referencing this love of God as the foundation of a rich, fulfilling life for a Christian. 
He's asked, which is the greatest of all the commandments in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And he says in verse 37, this is Jesus teaching that we love God with everything that we have. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. It is foundational to anyone who wants to live a rich and fulfilling Christian life. It's foundational to anyone who wants to build a strong relationship with God. That we love Him, not in a casual manner. The Bible says that we love Him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. The Bible says this is the first and great commandment. What is the Bible saying? That nothing should compete with our love for God. That our love for God is not some half-hearted fondness for God. That it is devotion, it is commitment, it is loyalty, it is dedication, it is intimacy, and it has passion. And the Bible testifies that, that, that God felt that about Abraham. That Abraham would prioritize him and his things. The Bible says in Genesis 18 verse 19, this is God's testimony of Abraham. For I have known him in order, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. He said basically about Abraham, I know him, I know his priority. I am his priority. The question that poses to you and I is, can we say the same? And would God say the same about us? That we are, that he is our priority. That he's not a compartment that we open on a Sunday to go through the ritual of a church service. But that he is our priority. He's our focus. He's central to our life. Everything revolves around him. The psalmist is another person who loved God and we saw the results of it in his life. Psalm 16 verse 5 in the Passion Translation as it puts the heart of the psalmist out there for us. He says, Lord, I have chosen you alone as my inheritance. You are my prize, my pleasure, and my portion I leave my destiny and its timing in your hands. What was the psalmist saying? You are everything. You are priority. He was fulfilling Jesus' injunction to us. He was loving God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind. The challenge today is that there are too many things that are competing for that seat in our hearts with God. And for a lot of us, a lot of the church, sadly so, we have created a compartment for God. Rather than have just a throne on, in our hearts, we've brought in a few sofas and a few lounging chairs so that there are many things that are in that space. But if we are going to be a friend of God, we must commit to loving God. It must become our priority. But then sometimes we can feel incapable 
of loving God in this way. And that's understandable. Because in our own strength, it's a tall order to love God in this manner, this devotion, this commitment, this dedication, this prioritization of God. In a world where there are things that are competing, it can be a tall order. And if we try in our own strength, we fail. So our encouragement to one another is let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us love God like we should. Can someone say amen to that? Number two. So first thing, first pillar of friendship is loving God. Second pillar of friendship is obeying God. Now Abraham is a classic. The Lord comes to him. He's settled in, 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 in Haran where his father took them. The Lord says to him, get out of your country, Genesis 12 verse 1, from your family and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now he hasn't shown him the land, but he says now pack up, let's get ready to go to a place that I will show you. And verse 4 tells us the kind of man Abraham was and why God loved, loved him. The Bible says in verse 4, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Try and put it in perspective. God comes to you and says, you know what? Pack up your things in London, and let's get ready to go to Egypt. How many know that you will call a prayer meeting, you will fast, you will rebuke the devil, you will go and look for your pastor, the head of the intercessory team. I mean, naturally, it just can't be God. And we might even help you to think it's not God, because the first thing we're going to say is, where did God say he's taking you? And in, in, in that case, I said Egypt, but with, what if God didn't tell you? Just say, get ready to go, pack up everything, resign from your job, shut down everything, sell the house. And then we ask you, where are you going? You say, I don't know yet, but... I'm believing God to tell me. How many know that even those of us around you will try and restrain you from this madness? But Abraham just obeyed. And I, I, I sometimes wonder what the conversation would have been like between him and Sarah. Where are we going? I don't know. So why are you packing up? God told me. I am expected to follow you, yes. To where? I don't know. How many know that's marriage counseling? We need Kemi and Bode and tight knots. Tight knots to step in. But he went. And the rest is history. You know, sometimes trying to obey God can be challenging. Sometimes it can seem like we're climbing a, climbing a slippery slope. As we try to obey God. And I remember the first time I read that scripture in John the 14th chapter. I think it's the 15th verse. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And because I knew I wasn't obeying in every area, I knew that I was struggling in one or two areas. Any, any, am I speaking to anybody who's in, in the building? Yeah? Or am I the only one? Yeah? And I, I just always would feel condemned. Because if the yardstick of, of love is that I'm obeying all the commandments, 
then if I don't obey the commandments, I can't really say I love him. Until the Lord revealed to me that you're putting the cart before the horse. That you can't discipline yourself to obey the commandments. And so I realized, and the Passion Translation puts it so clearly, John 14 verses 23 and 24. It says, loving me empowers you to obey my word. So I realized that it's not obey his word to show you love him. Stay with me, church. It's love him and you're empowered by him because you love him to obey his commandments. Does this make some sense? So some of us need to stop trying to climb that slippery slope. Because every time we climb a few rungs, we fall back. And some of us need to accept that we can't climb it in our own strength. To prove when we get to the peak that I've arrived here, I've climbed it so God, I love you. We need to turn around and say, God, I can't do it, but Holy Spirit, help me to just love God. Because as I love him, I am empowered to climb that slippery slope. Literally, he carries me up that slope. Because I have turned my attention to loving him. Does this make some sense? Does it make some sense? The third pillar is trust. Another word for trust is faith. And we call Abraham the father of our faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 8, Faith Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abraham stepped out in faith. That's an amazing scripture. What would he have told Sarah? I have a word from God. I have a promise from God. And so I'm going to hold on to that promise because I trust God to fulfill his word. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it and will he not do it? That was Abraham's life. And if the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God, I'm sure you agree with me that faith pleases God. The more faith there is, the more God is pleased. Because what that person is telegraphing to heaven is, I trust you. I trust your word. I trust your person. I know you will do what you say. He believed God's promise. And so he set out. But it was a constant theme of his life. He believed God's promise that he would have a son. His body was naturally dead. His wife's body incapable of, of, of going through the reproductive process. But then the Bible says that he believed God. In fact, I love the way Paul puts it in Romans 4 verses 20 and 21. I love the graphic language of this. It says, he staggered not 
at the promise of God through unbelief. And if you think of someone staggering, then you think of the forces that make the person stagger. And you have a picture of our life. There's so much that God has promised us in his word. But there are so many things that are being thrown at us. That are attacking our minds. That are trying to cause us to stagger. And sometimes those things are facts. It was a fact that Sarah was 90, going, 90 plus. It was a fact that he was almost 100. It was a fact that their reproductive systems had shut down. It was a fact. But there are sometimes the facts will encounter the truth. And when that happens, the facts must bow to the truth as long as God says so. But God has to say so, if not his presumption. And so he staggered not. And I pray that God will give us the strength not to stagger as we hold on to his promises. It goes on to say, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He wasn't just there doing nothing. Part of the process of standing was that he kept giving glory to God. He kept praising God. He kept testifying about God's goodness. These are lessons for us. And I love this part. And being fully persuaded, that is the challenge. A lot of us embark on the journey, but we are not fully persuaded. He was fully persuaded. He had read, I mean, if he was 21st century, he'd read the scripture, he'd listened to the messages, he'd prayed about it, he had waited on God, and God had settled the matter in his heart. You're going to have that son. He was fully persuaded. So every time, every month that the child didn't come, he continued to give God glory. Is this, is this, are these lessons for us? And he wasn't just, you know, wishing. You know, there's a lot of wish, wishing that goes on and is passed off as Christianity. He wasn't wishing. You know, he, God had told him. The combustion that needs to take place between the spirit and the word had taken place. And the word had left the pages of a book, had acquired the life of God, and was now breathing. Can someone say Amen. And number four, the last pillar of friendship, is submission. I remember saying once to a daughter of mine, I didn't think it was any particular revelation, but she, she thought it was. I said to her, the challenge with the church is that a lot of the church accept Jesus as Christ, Messiah, Savior. But not the whole church accepts him as Lord. The message of Christianity encapsulated in Acts 2 verse 36 as Peter was rounding up the first Christian sermon is this. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you, whom you crucified both. Can someone say both with me? Go on. Go on, say it boldly. Go on, if you're online, type it into the chat. Both. Both Lord and Christ. It's not either or. Both Savior and Lord. And when we say, of course, we know Savior, Messiah, Redeemer. But when we say Lord, we are talking about submitting to an authority. About allowing control of our lives. About giving someone power over us. We are talking about ownership. Frankly, we are talking about total submission. We are talking about no one else is on that level in terms of control of our lives. There are no other idols that are competing. It's total submission. And you know, Abraham shows that in his life. And these are the things that made God just think, this guy is my friend. I just, I just want to be with him. There are two examples out of Abraham's life. They could say, say two or three more, but let's two examples. The first one was the, when God tested him. And what was God testing? God was testing his submission to him. The Bible records it in Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. God comes to him. After waiting for so long, he now has this son. And what was the test? A Abraham, just before we go on, I need to make sure this son is not an idol to you. I need to make sure that you are so submitted to me that if I tell you to do something, even if your natural senses are kicking against it, you will do it because you're submitted to me. So take your son. And just so that you don't confuse him with Ishmael, your only son, the one whom you love. So don't go and kill Ishmael and say you thought I was talking about Ishmael. And you know what struck me in those scriptures? The Bible says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Do you know, that's a phrase that I thought, wow. God told you last night to kill your son, your only son, and you rose early in the morning? And what's wrong with waiting till 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or 12, hoping that God will change his mind? What would you do? If I'm truthful, even if I'm going to obey, I'm not going to get up early in the morning and make it quick. I'm going to kind of hope that, you know, God was joking. He can change his mind. The weather is not right for us to travel. The donkey is a bit ill. I mean, these just excuses. But Abraham, is it any wonder God called him his friend? He wakes up early in the morning, saddles the donkey, takes two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, takes the wood for the burnt offering, and sets off. And God has not even told him where. I mean, he's entitled to say, the revelation is not yet clear. 
we are waiting for further re- you know you know all the christianities we use we are not sure yet god has only revealed part don't move yet he's entitled to say that but he says god has said we should go we should go and then just to show the depth of his trust in god when they get close and god now reveals his moriah he can see moriah in the distance in verse 5 he says to the young man he says stay here ah, the abraham had faith he says stay here the lad and i will go and worship he says but guaranteed we are coming back to you what was he saying <laughs> the god who promised me that night cannot fail so this thing we are going on even if i kill him prepare for the miracle of a decapitated head going back on the body because this god he cannot lie we're coming back to you Ah, may we have that kind of faith and when he gets there verses 10 to 12 it's dramatic he takes the knife stretches out his hand lifts the knife to kill his son it wasn't hollywood nollywood or bollywood it was real and when God sees that, oh, God, you can imagine, why, why will God not call him his friend? The angel of the Lord, not just any other angel, pre-incarnate Christ, calls to him and says, okay, Abraham, Abraham. And he says to him, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from him. What was God saying? I know you're totally submitted to me. Do you know he tests us? And unfortunately we fail. At least I've failed so many times. I just say to him, Lord, test, test me again. How many are in that same position? Let's see your hands if you're in here. If you're in that, Okay, God, test me again, please. Thank God it's not a wicked test master that you have only one chance. You fail the exam, you're finished. No. How many know that we, we will sit the exam again? The second story about submission that I found interesting. Lot, because of his carnality, went and got caught in a war that he should not have been caught in. So the king of Elam, a guy called Chedalaoma, gathered some kings to go and fight the king of Sodom. Now that's why it is so important to be where God wants you to be. Because Lot was just living in Sodom. He had nothing to do with kings fighting. But when the king of Elam came, a guy called Chedalaoma, with the other kings, and defeated the king of Sodom, they just carried everybody. Guess who they carried with everybody? Lot. Just took him. Thank God for Abraham. They came and told Abraham that Lot has been taken. So Abraham got together some of his guys and went and attacked the king of Sodom and the other kings. Defeated them and took Lot but also took all their goods. So he came back with great spoils of war. And as he was coming back, he met a a mysterious character called Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And the Bible says, 
as it summarizes their encounter, Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God the Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And, and then Abraham, he gave him a tithe of all. Now, who's this guy? This Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Who is he? The Bible says about him that he had no father, no mother, no genealogy. Actually, let me read that to you. Hebrews 7 verses 1 to 3. So you understand that this guy was mis mysterious. Who is, who is he? That Abraham met. How come they arranged for Abraham to meet him? Everything in the Bible is orchestrated. He could have met any other king. But it was arranged that as he was coming back from war with this, all the booty of, from, from, from the war, all the things he had collected, all, all the wealth he had got, they arranged for him to have an encounter with this guy, Melchizedek. The Bible says in Hebrews 7 verses 1 to 3, For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part, a tithe of all, first being translated king of righteousness. We start to get an idea of who he is. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And then the psalmist gives us even more revelation as to who he was, if you haven't already got it. Because there's no human being who has no father, no mother, no genealogy. Nobody knows where he came from. And who doesn't have beginning or who doesn't have end? How many know he's already pointing to one person? But then the psalmist helps us understand. Psalms 110 verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It was addressed, this, and this psalm is a messianic psalm. It was talking about Christ. So in that messianic psalm that talks about Christ, he says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Mel Melchizedek. And the Bible confirms it in Hebrews, the 6th chapter and the 20th verse. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. And then after this, we're done. Wherever the forerunner, Hebrews 6 verse 20, has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we understand. That is one of two things. It's either it was physically pre-incarnate Christ. So physically, and we know that happened a number of times in the Old Testament where Christ would come before his time to come. Or it was at least a type of Christ. So it was either him physically or it was a type of him. And what is the significance of this to submission? Remember I said Savior and Lord. If you want to test a person's submission to God, test their money. 
Once you mention money, all the independent spirits that are ancestral rise up. And it's no wonder, because of the nature of money, the spirit behind money. So Abraham encounters Melchizedek, type of Christ or pre-incarnate Christ. And he's bringing all this stuff that has come from his hard work. He fought the battle. He risked his life. Who knows, maybe he lost some of his men. We don't know. It was his sweat that earned this stuff. And he comes to Melchizedek. And the first thing he does is say, here's a tithe. Now people today said, but the tithe is the law. Stay with me. You're about to get revelation that will totally blow your mind. Not because I, I have it, just what God revealed to me. I'm not saying I'm intelligent. The quarrel with the tithe today is that it's the law. And we're in a dispensation of grace. But when Abraham gave his tithe to Melchizedek, there was no law. The law started with Moses. So that means before the law, there was the tithe. Someone staying with me? Are you with me? And when the law came, the law codified the tithe. It codified it as part of the law. But it didn't, it didn't start the tithe. Because the tithe had started before the law. In the time before the law, what we got was a, a shadow of what grace would be like. But not grace itself. But Abraham walked in a way that pointed us towards what grace would, would be when it came. And in that time, before there was any law, before the tithe was codified, before they wrote the laws and said to them, you have to obey all these laws, Abraham encountered a type of Christ or pre-incarnate Christ and gave him a tithe. Does someone think God was trying to say something to us? Talk to me, church. And so then the tithe was codified. And it was explained further. Got to give a tithe. The Bible says in Hebrews 7 verse 6, but Melchizedek was not Abraham's Jewish relative because you see, by the time of the law, they gave the tithe to the Levites to look after the temple and these were their relatives. But listen to what the Bible says. <laughs> Are you being blessed by this? I told you it would be a bit of revelation. But Melchizedek was not Abraham's Jewish relative. And yet, Abraham still paid him a tithe. Melchizedek imparted a blessing on mighty Abraham who had received the promise of God. So it went from before the law, was codified in the law, and then we read, you know, things like Malachi, the chapter that most people hate, Malachi 3 verse 10. People, especially people who want to knock the church. And then, of course, pastors have abused the chapter. 
You know, say, if you don't give the tithe, you're cursed. No, it's not that God is cursing you. If you, if you don't know, do what God says, there are enough curses along the route to get, get you. God doesn't have to curse anybody. If you, if, you do, if you disobey, if you sin, if you do what God doesn't say, many, many, they, they, they don't have to say anything. Go out and sleep with somebody's wife. And God, you think God's going to say anything? No. There's enough that's said in there to wait for you. But then, what about after the law? <laughs> oh, God help me. Because that's where we are now. We're no longer in the law. We're in a period of grace. Matthew 5, verse 17. I read the Passion Translation. If you think I've come to set aside the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, you're mistaken. I have come to fulfill and to bring to perfection all that has been written. Lord of mercy. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't just throw the, the law away. I haven't come to get rid of it. He says, that's a mistake. He says, but I've come to fulfill it and bring it to perfection. And then he gives us a few examples. He says, verse 21, you have heard of all that it was said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a curse shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the cancer. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. My God. We are just dealing with don't murder, God. God says, what does Jesus say? It's a bit more than don't murder in the New Testament. We are now not concerned just about the act of murder. We are looking into your heart to see the state of your heart. He says, I have come to perfect the law. So the law wasn't perfect. Even though it said, do not murder. But it says, I've come to perfect it and to fulfill it. And so the fulfillment and the perfection of the law, do not murder, is that don't even get angry in your heart against your brother. Don't use abusive and demeaning words. It says, because in this new dispensation, that is like murder. So people say, grace, 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 grace. And they think, they, they are trying to, they are trying to tell us that it's easier. No, it's only easier by the Spirit. The standards are higher. But the Spirit, that's the grace, helps us so that we don't commit murder. Because in the New Testament dispensation, the standard for murder has changed. Is this making some sense? Not saying anything that's not in the Bible. He picks another example. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. So in those days, they said, don't commit adultery. And what is don't commit adultery? We found you commit the language on top of the woman or the woman on top of you, whichever way. We saw both of you, all of you together. Saw, happened. So when we, when we get that, we say adultery because she's another person's wife or he's another person's husband. But listen to what Jesus says. He said, I came to bring fulfillment and perfection. He says, 
But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I heard some guys say, yay. Because <laughs> the standard has changed. He said, no, we don't have to come into the room to catch you. He said, the standard in the New Testament, she's dancing on your heart. You're looking pious in church. But that sister is dancing, as Dr. Nuzo would say, cocoa on your heart, you know. <laughs> then he says, you've committed adultery. So, of course, we know, I mean, the guys here will, they will, they will testify, we're in trouble if the Spirit of God does not help us. So, it wasn't just about the external, it was about the internal. So, now we come to the tithe. What is the fulfillment and the perfection of the tithe? The fulfillment and the perfection of the tithe is really ownership. The tithe was brought to encourage us to that ownership. To a point where we understand that these finances are not mine. Frankly, the ultimate perfection is that I ask God if I can use his money, not give God some of my money. Am I with someone? And so once I understand that, what's the argument about the tithe? Why do I tithe personally? Because I want to make sure that I don't fall below the base level. Base. Tithe is base level. Kindergarten stuff. And I could do it in other ways and not call it a tithe. But I'm not so organized to make sure every month, every time I'm blessed, that I meet the high standard. So I use the tithe as my base level. At least God, every month I will not go below the base level. But... That is not perfection and fulfillment. It's a platform to stand on. Because where am I going? I'm going to the point where, and I know one man who has done this, amongst all the people that I know. And he tells me his story is fascinating. I'm going to the point, Lord, where I don't own the thing. What does it look like when I don't own the thing? I'll tell you a true story about this person. Someone I admire, someone whose spiritual life is a lesson to me. He had a dining table in his house that was, that had seen his best days. I even saw the dining table, so I knew that, ah, change this dining table. But I didn't know what was going on with him and God. Apparently, he asked God, he asked God. He didn't just go to DFS and buy the dining table. He asked God. You see, he's reached that stage of perfection, at least closer to it than you and I, where every month he turns it over to God. And then he says to God, can I use some of it for something? How many know that paying a tithe is a lot easier than that? So he asked God, true story, great man of God that I admire. He said, I want to buy a dining table. 
He said, God told him, don't worry, that table hasn't collapsed yet. Just, as they say in Africa, manage it. We have a lot of things to do with this money. It's a true story. He had the money in his account. But he had reached near the fulfillment and perfection of an Old Testament law so that it was no longer his, but it was God's. So he couldn't just go into, just, you're just walking around Bond Street, you see a bag you like. What does God have to do with the bag? I've, paid my, I've given them my tithe in Jesus' house, please. Pew! Swipe. Swipe the card. I mean, asking God if I should buy a pair of shoes, what does that mean? But that's how he lives his life. And that is the perfection and fulfillment where God owns everything. So the tithe is me in training to achieve perfection. And I start on that platform. But I don't stay there. I'm pushing the boundaries. My wife will tell you that. She's here. She'll tell you. That we are pushing the boundaries. So we started on the platform of the tithe. But we have long left the tithe, please. We don't do, we have gone past the tithe. But we are not at that level yet. Because I still just order some Chinese food without God. <laughs> I don't say to God, you know, can we eat this food? Just say, you know, order the food from Good Earth or wherever it is. Because I haven't come to that level where God has ownership. I say it with my mouth, but in my heart, God knows that, Agu, you're not there yet. But at least you're, you're, you know what they'll be saying in heaven? You're trying. At least you've moved past the tithe. Tithe you've done, and you've moved past. But am I at the level where I say, God, should we go on holiday? Not necessarily. I start to plan the holiday. And then after I've planned it, I say, God, can you bless our holiday plans? Why are you laughing at me? You're laughing at yourself. <laughs> Does this make some sense? Yeah. So when, you, when we listen to all these clowns who are looking at ways to knock the church, they don't understand that it is all a question of ownership. Who owns it? How submitted are you? So when Abraham met Melchizedek, it was intrinsic in him that I have to give a tithe to Melchizedek. Because really, it wasn't me that fought that battle. It was God that fought that battle on my behalf. On my behalf. Does this make some sense? Amen. So don't quibble about these things. The whole issue of the tithe and the offering is a question of generosity. That's what God is testing. How generous are you? How giving are you? How submitted are you? That's, these are the tests. And when, when it's time to give in that way, and all the hackles rise, the hairs stand up, the demon comes out, then you know that just go and pray for submission. Now, is it abused by those who steward it in certain places, yes. But the abuse does not negate what God is trying to do with us. So I always say to people, find somewhere where they are not abusing it. 
you have freedom of choice. If you can't live with that, just so that we can continue to grow in God. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Just take your word and amplify it in our hearts, Heavenly Father. And, and just, I just want to pray for anyone who doesn't have a relationship with God but wants to start a relationship with him. You don't know God as your Lord and Savior and you want to start to know him as your Lord and Savior. You're in person or you're watching online. Um, if you're in person, you want to start a relationship with God, would you just slip your hands up wherever you are? You want to give your life to Christ? You want to welcome him into your heart? Slip your hand up wherever you are. Go on, slip it high, slip it high. I see that hand at the back. Go on, slip it high, 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 high. I see that hand, I see that hand. Anybody else? High, high, high. Go on, slip it high. Now, will you just keep that hand up for, for a while? I'm going to get one of our ministry team to come to you. Um, can, can I have some, some, some pastors, some, some of our ministry team, please? Just to move around, please. Go on, keep it high, keep it high, keep it high. I need someone going to the back, please. I need, I need, I need someone, someone going to the back. There's a gentleman in the back. Go on. Anybody else? Keep it high. If somebody hasn't come to you, um, there's a hand in the middle. I need someone in the middle. There's a hand in the middle. A hand there. Yeah? Right there. Right there. In the middle. Yeah? Go on, slip. Wave the hand. Wave the hand. Wave the hand, please. Go on, wave the hand. If you're waving the hand. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify your name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Anybody else? Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. We give you praise. We give you glory. Amen. And so, Father, we just commit them your children who are joining this family into your hands as our pastors and our ministry team ministers to them, Lord. Open up their hearts to receive the word. Let it be planted and let it bear fruit. And for those who are online, who have indicated they want to start this relationship, we commit them all into your hands as our hosts and hostesses engage with them, Father. Father, open up their hearts to receive your word and let that implanted word bear fruit, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen and Amen. Amen.